the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It shows him just walking on the bus after killing her and just sitting down like normal. And to me, watching that, knowing what had transpired just before that, it made me feel sick. Because how can you just do that and then walk on the bus with other human beings and pretend like everything's fine? Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkutter and Billy Jensen. And you guys, I have something to reveal to you. Tell us. I binged all of the last season of Unraveled. You did? You did. I did. And oh boy, was I just so into it. I was on the edge of my seat. (laughs) What did you you. watch? Or or did you listen or watch? Oh, no, I listened to the Bob Ward. I texted you about it, Alexis. I had so many follow-up questions. I love this. Well, I didn't know if you also... um, Oh, that one's actually putting... Going to be on Discovery Plus on Thursday, tomorrow. Ooh. Oh, not tomorrow in in when you guys are listening to this. Tomorrow in real time for us. Because so yes, it, will it will be, be available. Yes. <laughs> it will be but available. When you listen, Find it on be Discovery there. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It was so good. I mean, we did the case for the Bob Ward case for the first degree. It was years ago, I feel like. A long time ago, yeah. But I was still just like, whoa, whoa. whoa. Oh. Like, what's what's next? It was you guys did such a good job. Like it was a crazy good podcast and so heartbreaking the story. I know. I love Sarah and Mallory and I feel for them so much. And I mean, it's no secret, uh, based on the episodes we did here on The First Degree, I don't think he got a fair trial. No. Um, And I think the biggest travesty is really, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it if none of you have listened yet, but yeah. check it out. Jack, you're a good friend. Thank you for supporting. Thank you very much, Jack, for for binging that. Uh, you know, also, you know, these are two stories that actually started uh, on First Degree because Stalker's Web will be available on Linear, which is ID. You'll be able to which watch it on cable. ID on the 27th. No one knows what Linear is. That's like inside baseball talk. It'll be there on Investigation Discovery on the 27th. <laughs> you weren't, so Linear is not the channel name. You're just like <laughs> describing it as some like jargon from the entertainment yes, it's, industry. It, yes, it's it's entertainment yeah, jargon. That's like, of, no one knows what Linear is. It's cable, cable TV. Yes, not it's cable. Just on it'll be on cable. Service. Nobody knows what cable is linear. either. Just open up Investigation Discovery and it'll be, I don't think people know what cable is. Mm, anyway. Nice try. Yes. <laughs> and we, you know what, uh, by the way, because we can't ask for reviews on, on Unraveled, you might want to give us some reviews on Unraveled if you listen to the podcast. You know, you know what I also wish that you guys could ask for is a little shout out to the first degree on Unraveled because you guys are like number 11. <laughs> we need the push. <laughs> <laughs> oh, next time, next season. And yes. we'll, be, we'll work that out in the agreements. You really yes. should. We definitely will work it's that your out. In the project. Agreement. I know we yeah. really should. What we should have done is add swaps, but I mean, I think we were too bogged down with all the shit we had to do. But anyways, it's yeah. okay. I forgive you, but you know, just keep it in your head for the future. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well. Oh, what day is it today, Billy? All right. Well, today is the 26th of January, and it's everybody's favorite National Peanut Brittle Day. Mm. Everybody's favorite. No, it's nobody's favorite. I once got, it was like a really cool tin container from Disney World and had all these like scenes from the park on it and cartoons and it filled with peanut brittle and I had to eat the entire thing of peanut brittle and ever since then I've never eaten peanut brittle again. Why did you have to eat it? I don't know because I bought it and I was like a kid and I was like, I'm not going to let this go to waste. It's protein. I don't know what it is. 
is it like soft like fudge or is it like no, french toffee it's it's, it's like peanuts all melded together and congealed in this toffee like substance the toffee part is the incredible part. The peanuts part is what really ruins the whole experience. <laughs> I think nuts ruin everything. Throw a nut in a brownie, you got a ruined brownie if you I ask agree. Me. In a cookie, in a chocolate chip cookie, walnut, ruined. Like the, the last thing I want is to bite in a cookie in there to find a walnut or a macadamia nut there. A macadamia mm-hmm. is probably even worse. Ugh. Not as bad as raisins, though. Raisins ruin everything. Ra- I'd raisins rather have ruin an oatmeal raisin than cookie than anything with a nut. I'm not thrilled with a shriveled grape either, but, you know. <laughs> They're all disgusting. Do That's we have right. any other good days, Billy? Not really. You know, it, it's not, uh, I mean, th- there's very, very little. National Green Juice Day. I don't know if Wait, that's something Also, that I think we about. missed Bleakmas. <laughs> <laughs> that's how bleak it was. That's how bleak it was. We missed it. Bleakmas is so bleak that it's not even remembered. It's not, even, it's not even remembered by the people it. that invented it. That's the, <laughs> that's the crazy thing. You're trying so hard to get to February that you completely forgot that you yes. made this holiday for you. I yeah. have a bleakness poll that I didn't even use. <laughs> <laughs> next year. There's always next right. year. Yeah, everybody Bleak celebrate poll. bleakness in your own way. And we will, uh, <laughs> we will see you again next year for bleakness. We absolutely will. Okay, well, that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. So we begin today's case on June 20th of 2012. And for those of you that are into astrology, this was a Wednesday and under the sign of Gemini. Daredevil Nick Walenda had just become the first person to walk a tightrope above the brink of Niagara Falls between Canada and the U.S. The theaters were filled with three quals like Men in Black 3, Piranha 3, DD, and Madagascar 3. And some of 2012's catchiest songs were Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, Payphone by Maroon 5, and Somebody That I Used to Know by Gautier, which had been the number one song for seven weeks straight and still fucking annoys me to this day. Oh, I played that song on repeat. Best song. It's one of those songs, though, you play too much and then you hate it. Hate it. Yeah. Yeah. The setting for today's case is Winnipeg, Manitoba. Winnipeg is around 60 miles north of the Minnesota-Canadian border. It's the capital of Manitoba, population around 750,000. Winnipeg has its own hockey team, the Jets, which were established as the Atlanta Thrashers in 97, then moved to Winnipeg before that 2011 season. And they actually had a team before, but they moved to Phoenix. It's a whole mess, but they do have a team up there, thank God. In February 2021, Winnipeg broke its record for the lowest temperature ever when it reached minus 38.8 degrees Celsius. Oof. The previous record was one degree lower and was set in December of 1879. Jeez. And our first degree for today's case is named Renee. And today she is a badass Canadian lawyer. But when the story took place, she had just graduated from high school in Winnipeg. I am from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And I grew up just in the southern end of Winnipeg. It's called St. Norbert. It's a little, small, French-Canadian suburb of Winnipeg. And our high school is really small. There's probably only like 500 people between the French and the English side. 
While Renee was in high school, she started dating a fellow student who was two years older than her, and this isn't his real name, but we're going to call him Jake. After Jake left high school, he and Renee continued dating. And as one does in relatively long-term relationships, Renee got to know all of Jake's friends, and they built their own little social community together. Even after graduation from high school, she and Jake remained in consistent contact with a lot of their friends from high school. And Renee had a plan for after graduation. She was going to go to law school and become a lawyer. And it seems like she and Jake were moving towards the direction of starting a life together. But all of that would change when a horrific event would put a wedge between them. On June 20th, 2012, a beautiful, sweet, smart, and hardworking 26-year-old woman named Kayla Tran was murdered in the parking lot of her Winnipeg apartment complex as she walked to her car to go to work. The city at large was horrified, and so was Renee. And the truth about who was responsible and why this murder happened at all would change Renee's perspective forever. So who killed Kayla Tran, and why? And what would these answers reveal? Well, to answer all of this and more, you know the drill. We gotta go back. All of this started back in high school, when Renee and her boyfriend met and started dating. And as they got to know each other better, Renee slowly became acquainted with his friends, including his best friend, a guy named Trayvon Trey Willis. I graduated high school in 2012, and my ex-boyfriend and Trayvon Willis They both graduated in 2010, so I was a few years younger than them. They played on the football team together, and they were good friends from that, and I think they just liked to play video games and drink and do normal teenage boy things. Renee was never super close with Trey, but they ran in the same circles, especially when she hung out with her boyfriend, Jake. To her, Trey seemed like your average, run-of-the-mill high school dude, easy to be around and harmless. When I first met him, he was always just nice, polite, quiet, nothing, no alarm bells going off, definitely nothing strange about him. Obviously, that can be deceiving. But at at the time, I had no inclination that anything strange would ever happen with him. When Jake and Trey graduated high school, they continued their friendship. And this meant that Renee continued seeing him every now and then. And we asked Renee what Trey did after high school, and she couldn't really recall much. He didn't go to school. He worked somewhere, but nowhere remarkable because Renee also couldn't recall. So there's a lot about that time that we just don't know. But there's one thing that we do know. At some point, Trey took a wrong turn. Right, because in the wake of Kayla Tran's murder, something else shocking was making the rounds in the news, that Kayla Tran's murderer had been arrested. And who did police think the killer was? Trayvon Trey Willis. And Renee recalls the moment she found out. I remember seeing something on Facebook about Trey being arrested in connection with this crime. And I remember just being so shocked because he was such a quiet, nice guy. Wasn't kind of the person you would expect this to ever happen with. You wouldn't really expect anything from him. Unfortunately, we don't know a ton about Trey outside of what Renee has shared with us. What we do know is that when Trey graduated high school, he wasn't on any sort of dark path. So what happened exactly? Here's what we know. After high school, Trey tried his hand at attending college. At some point, he dropped out. 
And then apparently he started working for a drug dealer named Derek Bennett and his street name was Finale. So presumably this is where things really took a dark turn for him. We tried to find some information about this Finale guy, but got nothing. And there could be a reason for this. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But either way, Trey began dealing drugs under this guy, Finale. He was small time in his dealings, but he did have the responsibility of moving decent-sized quantities of cocaine. So Trey is dabbling in this high-stakes world, but his friends, like Renee's boyfriend Jake, were not privy to his new career move. Trey was making deliveries of cocaine from Winnipeg to The Pass, which is a round-trip distance of around 1,250 kilometers or 775 miles. This is some high-risk stuff. Moving cocaine is no joke. Trey was pretty lucky, though, at least at first. Everything was going smoothly until one trip in February of 2012, when Trey was caught with three ounces of individually packaged packets of cocaine in a bag of unknown pills. The police arrested and charged him with possession of cocaine for the purpose of trafficking. It was his first ever arrest, and he was ultimately released on bail. When Trey's boss, Finale, heard about this, he was not pleased and he expected Trey to pay him back for the amount of cocaine that was seized by the Canadian authorities. While the exact dollar amount is unknown, we do know that Trey allegedly told a friend that he owed around 20 grand relating to the cocaine. However, a newspaper article stated the estimated street value was $9,000. So who knows exactly how much Trey owed Finale? But either way, even if the total debt was only nine grand, that's still a lot of cash for someone to have readily available to them. And Trey was really feeling the pressure to pay his boss back. So Trey got to work trying to sell drugs and trying to chip away at this debt that he owed Finale. But apparently Finale didn't think Trey was paying it back fast enough. And he started really putting the pressure on Trey in the form of physical threats. Trey asked his family and friends for advice and they told him to go to the police, but he refused. Then by May of 2012, Finale was losing patience with Trey. He wanted his money. And it had been three months since Trey had lost the cocaine delivery, and the rate at which he was paying down his debt was not satisfactory to Finale at all. So in an effort to light a fire under his ass, he decided to send a few of his associates to pay Trey a little visit. And obviously, not a friendly one. In fact, they beat the hell out of Trey. These men broke several of his bones and then shot him. And because there was no police report, we don't know much about this gunshot wound that Trey allegedly suffered. And if it really did happen, uh, it obviously clearly wasn't fatal. Then around June 12th of 2012, Trey received a text from Finale. And this wasn't any old text. This was a terrifying threat. Finale's text to Trey contained the addresses of Trey's brother and his aunt. That's not good. And Trey understood this text meant that if the debt wasn't paid, he and his family would be killed. But even at this point, he still didn't call the police, and he didn't warn his family that they might be in danger. Instead, Trey tried to figure out some way he could settle up with his boss and pay his debt. So he asked around trying to be resourceful, hoping someone had an idea for what he could do. Within a few days, Trey told his friend Tremaine Sam Kelly that he received an offer that he just couldn't refuse. A friend of his named Drake Moslenko offered to pay off Trey's debt. But in exchange, Trey would have to kill a 26-year-old woman named Kayla Tran. So why exactly did this Drake person want 
this Kayla Tran person killed. Why? Well, here's what we know. Kayla LaToya Tran was born on May 31st, 86. Her parents were divorced. Her mother, Tracy, had remarried a man named Robert. She had three sisters, Tiffany, Sabrina, and Alexandria. And Kayla was described as happy-go-lucky, energetic, positive, bubbly, everything you'd ask for in a friend. We're looking at a picture of Kayla. She's smiling. She looks happy. She seems to be, you know, enjoying life. She looks like a normal, happy girl. Yeah, she's super cute, has a really round face, big smile, sideswept bangs, just earrings. She looks super sweet. So Kayla was a business relationship manager at Teleco, and that was a locally owned telecommunications company. And prior to Teleco, she had worked as a concert promoter. And whenever Kayla wasn't working, she was volunteering. According to the Winnipeg Sun, Kayla was a tireless volunteer and role model with a bright future ahead of her. And Kayla had a boyfriend, a 27-year-old nightclub security guard named Drake Maslenko. Kayla and Drake had been dating for around four years, and they lived together in an apartment on Clayton Drive in St. Vital, a neighborhood in south-central Winnipeg. Some sources say that Kayla actually supported Drake financially. Whatever the case, it's believed or alleged that Drake was perhaps also involved in the drug trade, which explains how he was acquainted with Trey Willis. And we tried to get as much information on Drake as we could. And while there is more info on him than there is on Trey and Finale, he still has a rather elusive online presence. And also, it's harder for us to get records in the U.S. from Canadian cases. Side note. But there are some things we do know about Kayla's boyfriend, Drake. He came from a tight-knit family, graduated from Glenlong Collegiate. Drake attended Minnow State University and is a former amateur baseball star, playing multiple seasons between 07 and 09. And besides playing baseball, he had aspirations to be a rapper. What a cliche. Oh, my God. So we're looking at this guy right now with yeah. Kayla. He's big. He's barrel-chested. Big. And he looks like a rapper I know. He looks like this guy Necro, like a Long Island rapper who oh my God. looks just like him, actually. Maybe, oh maybe it is him. He he ha- he gives off sort of a, a Russian gangster type vibe. You know, he's got a very round, large face, you know, hair uh, uh, balding and, and uh, uh, shaved down. Very much, you know, like Lex said, barrel-chested. He looks like a guy that is not to be messed with. He looks like he wears a lot of uh, Adidas tracksuits. Like he looks yeah. like he wears a lot of matching velour tracksuits, like <laughs> like an Italian gangster dude, but Russian. Like and a, Billy hev- said. a heavy, heavy cologne. Oh, yeah. He, you can smell him from miles away. But yes. mm-hmm. regardless of Drake's alleged illicit activities, Kayla wasn't involved in anything criminal at all. So this begs the question, why would her boyfriend want her dead? It didn't make any sense. According to Tremaine, Trey had come to him and told him the following. Trey talked to Kayla's boyfriend, Drake, about how he needed to pay off his debt to Finale. Drake told Trey that he had an idea. Trey could kill Kayla. So this guy, Drake, wanted his own girlfriend murdered, claiming that Kayla needed to die because she was a police informant who might, quote, rat him out. And beyond suggesting the hit in the first place, Drake even made suggestions about how and where Trey might carry out this murder. Drake said that Kayla could be killed in her apartment parking lot as she walked to her car to drive to work. Then, Trey could take her car and purse and make it look like a robbery gone wrong. After that, Trey would give Drake the car and the purse, and then Drake would then withdraw cash from Kayla's account and then sell her car and her credit cards which this this whole thing is crazy. 
Drake would give some of the profits to Trey, and he could use that money to pay off the debt. Okay. Well, with how chaotic and disorganized, cruel and senseless this plan was, and even just hearing Jack say it, I can't believe anyone would go through with this based on the stupidity of the plan. But our immediate assumption is that Trey would have responded with a hard no. This is a horrible idea. You shouldn't kill your girlfriend and this will ruin my life. But that's not what happened. Because after all, Trey was quote unquote desperate. So he very foolishly agreed to this plan. So after Trey told his buddy Tremaine he was going to take Drake's offer, Tremaine told Trey he would go with him to carry out this murder, to act as moral support. What the hell is wrong with these people? Okay, so then came the morning of June 19th. And the first part of the plan were put in motion, starting with getting to the apartment Kayla shared with Drake. They took the bus there, and they arrived at the apartment building at around 7 a.m., When they arrived, they could see that Kayla's car was still in the parking lot, which meant that she hadn't left for work yet. Trey walked to a more secluded area near the parking lot so he could change into a different pair of clothing that he had actually brought with him. Once he was dressed, he put a bandana on his face, reached into his backpack, and pulled out a pair of gloves and a kitchen knife that he'd also brought with him. He was ready to kill Kayla Tran and ready to be free of the drug debt that loomed over him. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. 
The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. The drug debt that 20-year-old Trey Willis owed to drug dealer Finale weighed heavy. So on the morning of June 19, 2012, he was in the parking lot of Kayla and Drake's apartment building, lying in wait and ready to do some harm. Trey walked back to where Kayla was parked, but when he got closer, he realized Kayla's car was now gone. It seemed as though Kayla had slipped into her car and left for work while Trey was changing. So Trey and his buddy Tremaine, who were there for moral support, got back on the bus. Taking Kayla's escape as a type of some kind of sign, the two men discussed other ways that Trey might be able to pay his debt. Trey mused about the possibility of asking Tremaine's uncle for a loan, or maybe they could pawn some stuff off, or steal a car and go to a chop shop to get the money. But you know what? None of these ideas seemed good enough. Trey decided that he would have to kill Kayla if he wanted to pay off his debt and get away from Finale. So the following day, Trey and Tremaine headed back to Kayla's apartment, this time much earlier than the day before. At 6.05 a.m., they decided to further shake things up by taking some ecstasy, or Molly if you're young, and boarded the bus. 30 minutes later, they exited the bus and hopped into a taxi, which dropped them off at Kayla's. When they arrived, her car was still in the parking lot, so they weren't too late this time. Just like he had the day before, Trey changed clothes. He put on a bandana and gloves and grabbed the knife. He walked back towards Kayla's car and found it still parked in the lot. She hadn't left yet. Then Trey waited for Kayla to come outside. Then, just before 7 a.m., Kayla left her apartment and walked to her car so she could drive to work, just like any other Wednesday. She was a beloved young woman with a normal job, thinking she was in a decent romantic relationship. Kayla approached her car before opening the passenger side door. Then, Trey attacked. Kayla shrieked, leave me alone, and Trey started repeatedly stabbing Kayla with a knife. She was yelling for help, and a few neighbors took notice of what was going on. The neighbors screamed at him and moved towards the altercation. Trey stopped stabbing Kayla and then started running. He didn't have time to steal Kayla's purse or her car. So Trey ran by Tremaine and told him to start running. The two men then bolted in opposite directions. A male neighbor chased after Trey on a bike, but Trey was able to outrun him once he reached a nearby river. Trey took off his jacket, threw the knife in the river, and headed to the bus stop. He boarded the bus at 7.38 a.m., Tremaine was not with him. He exited the bus around 30 minutes later and went about his day like nothing even happened. Meanwhile, back in the parking lot, one of Kayla's neighbors, Tracy, rushed to Kayla's side. She was a nurse and she wanted to help out as much as she could. Tracy felt Kayla's neck for a pulse, but there was too much blood. So she felt her wrist and only found a weak pulse. 
and while they waited for an ambulance to show up, a shirtless Drake came out to the parking lot and saw what happened to Kayla. He knelt by her side and quote-unquote sobbed while holding her hand as she bled to death on the ground. Within six minutes, the ambulance arrived and they rushed Kayla to the hospital, but it was too late. She was dead from 31 knife wounds, two of which sliced her carotid artery and jugular vein. Drake didn't go to the hospital with Kayla, which might not have been Drake's choice. If the paramedics didn't want Drake in the ambulance with them, he wouldn't have been able to go. He stayed in the parking lot where he walked around talking on the phone. Witnesses said he was crying and was extremely emotional. Witnesses helped authorities compile a general and frankly accurate description of the attacker, who we already know to be Trey. A dark, olive-skinned man with short, dark hair in his early 20s with a slim build, between 5'6 and 6 feet tall. Authorities searched the area but didn't find anyone matching the description. Investigators searched Kayla's car and found her purse inside, but her wallet was gone. At first, they thought her wallet was stolen during the attack, making her murder appear to be a robbery gone wrong. But when they searched Kayla's apartment, they found her wallet in the hallway. Robbery no longer appeared to be the motive. So if robbery wasn't the motive, what would compel someone to stab Kayla in broad daylight? To the police, none of this made sense. And while investigators combed over the crime scene, the residents were anxious. They had no idea if there was some madman running loose in the area or if Kayla had been the victim of a targeted attack. And the police weren't talking. They didn't make any public announcements for the entire day, and this was something that residents felt was a super rare move. Winnipeg has a very high crime rate. In fact, the city is often referred to as the gang capital or crime capital of Canada. In 2011, the year before Kayla was murdered, Winnipeg had the highest crime rate among all Canadian cities with a murder rate of 5.08 per 100,000 population. The average for all of Canada is 1.7. For comparison, the rate for St. Louis, one of the most dangerous cities in the U.S., has a rate of 35.3 in 2011. And by the way, in 2021, that rate is up to 64.7. Right. And while Winnipeg and some parts of Winnipeg are known for being dangerous, the area Kayla was living in was considered safe, which added further confusion for investigators. And when residents found out that Kayla had been brutally attacked during the day, no less, they were understandably concerned. They voiced their frustrations on social media and commented on news reports. People said things like, this wasn't Saturday morning, 2 a.m. in the North End, Winnipeg's most dangerous neighborhood. This was Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. in St. Vital. Are there any places in Winnipeg that are safe anymore? And according to Vice, Kayla's death resonated with the city of Winnipeg differently than others. Kim Gudmanson, a co-worker of Kayla's, told Vice, She was a good person. She wasn't involved with drugs or anything like that. She was just an innocent young woman who was going to work. So I think people looked at it differently because usually people who are murdered are involved with something, or that's usually the stereotype at least. So I think people were shocked. It wasn't until the morning after Kayla's murder that police made a public comment about her death. They said that investigators had determined her murder was a deliberate, targeted act and not the work of some random, deranged killer. They didn't say why they felt like Kayla's murder was targeted, but it's most likely because there had been no sign of a robbery at the crime scene. On one hand, Winnipeg residents may have felt some sort of relief knowing that Kayla's murder wasn't random. But on the other, they still needed to know who targeted this young woman and why. Residents would soon have their answers. Well, sort of. So what happened next hasn't been confirmed by the police, but according to multiple sources, Trey's friend Tremaine went to the police sometime after the murder. 
And it's unclear why Tremaine went to the police, but it might be safe to assume that he realized that he could get in trouble for being with Trey during the murder. So he wanted to go to the police before they figured everything out themselves. So it's most likely self-serving, not guilt, especially since he so enthusiastically offered to join Trey for quote-unquote moral support as he went to steal the life of Kayla Tran. And when Tremaine spoke to the police, he told them everything that went down on June 19th and the 20th. He also told them at some point after the murder, Trey met with Drake to discuss his payout. Yeah, the same Drake who was pretending to be hysterical in the aftermath of Kayla's murder as he paced around the parking lot. And during this meeting, Drake would share some, let's call it, disappointing news with Trey. Drake told Trey that he hadn't been able to sell any of Kayla's possessions because her bank accounts were frozen and her car had been impounded. So Trey had taken an innocent woman's life for nothing. Drake had no money to pay him, and Trey still didn't have the money to pay off his debt. In following Tremaine's confession to the police, a warrant was issued for Trey's arrest only five days after the murder, on June 25th. But he wasn't arrested that day. Presumably because when police went to the address they had on file for Trey, he wasn't home. Then on June 26th, at around 5.30 a.m., police got really lucky. They were investigating an unrelated matter at a residence in Winnipeg when they found a drunk Trey inside. He was arrested and taken to the station, where he was held in various interview rooms until 12.08 a.m. on the 27th. After speaking with an attorney twice, Trey's first official interview with investigators began at 8.45 a.m. And during this interview, investigators said a lot of intense things, hoping Trey would break. But Trey just rested his head on the table and closed his eyes as investigators said things like, We know the what. We just need to know the why. You want to be carefree killer, the guy who went out and killed someone for no reason? You're not a hired assassin, right? This isn't something that goes away. You got to face this one way or another. You got to live with this the rest of your life. And at one point, investigators told Trey that they knew his mom died when he was seven years old. They told him that at least his family was able to say goodbye to her and added, Kayla's mom, Kayla's sister didn't get the same chance. You took that from him. So they're trying to play off his emotions, obviously. Yeah. So at another point, investigators showed Trey pictures of Kayla's body and they said, this is no animal. You're no hunter. This is a human being and you hacked her up. Look what you did to her. What kind of animal does this? I hope you enjoyed your last six days since you killed this girl because you may not see the outside world for 25 years. But nothing that investigators were doing or saying worked on Trey. During the hour and a half long interview, he asserted his right to remain silent 12 times. Five hours later, investigators tried again. This time they told Trey that he was going to be charged with first degree murder. They said they knew he wasn't acting alone and that he'd been hired to kill Kayla. As Trey continued to remain silent, the investigators became more aggressive. Less than 15 minutes into the interview, Trey asked for an attorney, but the investigators kept going. They asked him 13 more questions before they finally stopped the interview and let Trey speak to counsel. A few hours later at 7.09, investigators interviewed Trey for a third time. And then, finally, at 7.42, he confessed to killing Kayla. And here's what he said. It's fucked up. I know this. I apologize to the family. I deserve to go to jail for what I did. I murdered her. And Trey told investigators that a man offered to pay off his drug debt if he killed Kayla. He said, I dealt with some bad people, and the option was my life or her life. And they were putting my immediate family in danger, too. 
Investigators asked Trey who offered him the deal. Trey refused to tell them, and God knows why. Investigators specifically asked Trey if Kayla's boyfriend, Drake, was the one who offered him a deal, and Trey said no, lying. And finally, Trey gave them a name, Finale. Okay, let's be clear. This is bullshit, and we have no idea why Trey refused to throw Drake under the bus. And when police asked Trey why Finale would want Kayla dead, Trey said he didn't know and followed with more lies. He said, I just knew that she had to be dealt with and that was it. I deal with some bad people and I had to do what I felt necessary at the time. And when asked why he didn't just go to the police when Finale texted Trey with his brother and aunt's addresses, he said that he was scared and he knew it would make things much worse. At 12.08 a.m., Trey was admitted for processing and was officially charged with first-degree murder. And investigators did look into Finale, but he said he wasn't involved and investigators believed him, ultimately. And it would be incredibly dumb for a drug dealer like Finale to hire Trey, who was out on bail at the time that all of this happened, to kill Kayla, a woman that Finale had no connection to whatsoever. Now, rewinding back to when Renee first learned of Trey's arrest for the murder, she was floored. And she was appalled. But to her surprise, her boyfriend Jake had an adverse response. Complete denial. He was pretty upset because he really didn't feel like this could be the same person that he knew from high school, you know, doing this because he didn't even know he was doing drugs. He did not take it very well because it didn't fit for him. He thought, you know, the friend that I have is a nice normal person. And then this person that went and killed somebody is a completely different person. He did not believe that it could be, you know, his friend. On the same day police arrested Trey, they arrested Drake as well. But here's the thing. They didn't need Trey to admit that Drake had hired him because moral support Tremaine, remember that guy, had sung like a bird and told the police everything. A few days after Kayla died, Drake revealed to Kayla's sister Tiffany that he was the beneficiary on two of Kayla's life insurance policies. He said so was Tiffany and their dad. And Drake said that he had tried to file for her life insurance, but Kayla's employers denied him because he was not her immediate family. Drake told Tiffany that she should go with him to fill out the paperwork. He said that under the terms of the policies, the benefits would be doubled because her death was accidental. Tiffany refused to go. And I'm sure she was pretty horrified. And now, I mean, this is as clear a motive as any, I think. So Tiffany had good reason to not help Drake. You see, according to Kayla's family, right before Kayla was murdered, she had found out that Drake had been cheating on her. She planned on breaking up with him and was even thinking about moving to Calgary to start anew. And as we know, this is a pretty common motive for murder. Kill your girlfriend when she finds out that you've been cheating— kill your partner if you're the beneficiary on their life insurance policies, you know. And while Drake allegedly told Trey that Kayla was a police informant, there was zero evidence of that. It seems more likely that Drake just told Trey that because it's a better excuse for murdering someone than, quote, she caught me cheating. And there was another thing about Drake that raised red flags for the police. It turns out he had a history of staging crimes. Twenty-year-old Trey Willis and twenty-seven-year-old Drake Maslenko had been arrested for the murder of Drake's twenty-six-year-old girlfriend Kayla Tran, and it turns out that Drake had a criminal past that was pretty glaring. 
Right, because in 2010, Drake pleaded guilty to theft after he and two others staged a robbery at a hotel that he had previously worked at. Drake had come up with a plan, which was then executed. A current employee of the hotel stole $5,600 from the hotel bar, gave it to another co-conspirator, then claimed that she had been robbed. But their genius plan failed. All involved were caught, and Drake was sentenced to three months of probation. Now, robbery is obviously not the same thing as murder, but it does show that Drake had a history of staging criminal activities for financial gain. After his arrest, Drake was questioned at the station. He told investigators that he had nothing to do with Kayla's death and was only an acquaintance of Trey's. Investigators asked Drake why he was in contact with Trey so often before and after the murder. They brought up what Tremaine said about Trey and Drake meeting after Kayla was killed. They also brought up a record of calls and texts between Trey and Drake. On May 14th, 2012, they talked on the phone seven times. On June 10th, they talked twice. And at 1237 on the day after the murder, Drake called Trey from his dad's cell phone. That call lasted 14 seconds. Drake had a perfect explanation for why they talked and met up after Kayla's murder. The description of Kayla's killer sounded like Trey. So he texted Trey to meet up. Drake said, I confronted him as to whether he knew anything about Kayla's murder. He said he did not and that he had no information on who had. Our conversation was brief. No matter how hard police pressed him, Drake maintained his innocence throughout all of his interviews. But he was charged with first-degree murder anyway. He joined Trey to await their trials in jail. But then something shocking happened. On August 28th, Drake was released on bail with the Crowns, and that's the prosecution, blessing. The news shocked the Winnipeg community. Even though Drake's bail conditions were pretty strict, no one could remember a time where a person charged with first-degree murder was released on bail with the Crown's green light. Well, as it turns out, there was a good reason why the Crown was essentially okay with Drake being let out on bail. And that reason is there wasn't any real evidence proving Drake's guilt. The strongest evidence that they had was Tremaine's statement, but anything Tremaine said, Drake told Trey was technically hearsay in the eyes of the law. Plus, even Trey, the alleged murderer, said that Drake wasn't involved. And Lord knows why he was protecting this guy. We don't know. And besides the life insurance policies and the 2010 staged robbery, both of which were purely circumstantial, the only other thing that the Crown had against Drake was a witness saying that he thought that he saw Drake reach into the passenger rear door shortly after Kayla had been stabbed. The Crown theorized that when the witness saw Drake reach inside his car, Drake was taking out Kayla's wallet, which he then took and hid in their apartment to make it look like a robbery gone wrong. When the judge heard what evidence the Crown had against Drake, they were pretty unimpressed. The judge was especially surprised by the Crown's theory that Drake had taken Kayla's wallet from the car and hid it in the apartment. The judge said this wasn't just a bit of a stretch, it's a quantum leap. Drake had let the police search the apartment, and that's when they found her wallet, which was out in the open. The judge said it made no sense at all for Drake to let police search the apartment just so they could find the wallet he'd gone to great lengths, quote-unquote, to hide. Right, and the Crown's lack of evidence was made official when the judge said Tremaine's statement about Drake offering the deal to Trey would not be allowed in this trial. And since Tremaine's statement was their main piece of evidence, the Crown had virtually nothing against Drake. So charges against Drake were stayed, which means they were dropped. And this makes me want to scream, especially given the fact that we know that he was the beneficiaries on our two life insurance policies. 
Drake was allowed to go back to his normal life without any bond restrictions. The charges were straight up dropped. He was free. And the Crown had a year to either recharge Drake or drop charges altogether forever. So as the wheels of justice moved slowly, the Winnipeg community was reeling from the senseless murder of Kayla and even more so with the news of who was responsible. Renee, our first degree, was horrified to learn what had happened. And beyond that, there was growing tension between Renee and her boyfriend, who was besties with Trey. And that's because he was sticking by his friend and decided to support him. He remained in complete denial about Trey's role in the crime. I remember him getting, you know, letters from prison from Trey. And it was all so surreal because I couldn't believe that I went to school with somebody who was a murderer, let alone my ex-boyfriend being best friends with him. Renee's boyfriend didn't follow the news about Trey. I think it was kind of traumatic for him. He didn't really want to believe that this was, you know, for real because they were still friends. So he tried to maintain, I think, in his heart that his friend wasn't guilty of murder. Eventually, Renee's boyfriend, Jake, even started going to visit Trey behind bars in secret. He said, you know, Trey wrote to me, I want to go visit him. And I said no. And then he just went behind my back and went and did it. I honestly don't know how many times he went to go visit him, but I know they were, you know, regularly writing to each other because I think Trey didn't really have that many people on his side, you know, rightfully so. But my ex-boyfriend was definitely still going to visit him. And that wasn't something that I was happy about because I felt like, why are you wanting to support somebody who cold-bloodedly, you know, killed somebody for a drug debt that you didn't even know he was into? You didn't, you didn't even know this person. So it was, it was kind of scary that he just blindly wanted to support him. And I think my ex-boyfriend definitely took more of a, I want to support you versus why the hell did you do this? It's more, I want to know, you know, how I can help you, not why did you do this horrible thing. Renee hated that Jake was visiting Trey. I felt like I want to be a lawyer. I want to, you know, be an advocate for victims. I don't want, you know, my partner at the time being cordial and being a friend to somebody who, you know, killed somebody in cold blood with no reason other than to clear a drug debt. I mean, that's unjustifiable and completely senseless. So I think for me, it did bother me more because I knew the career path that I wanted to take and his actions were completely, you know, contradictory to what I wanted to do with my life. As his trial approached, Trey and his attorney worked on their defense and Trey's attorneys wanted to use the defense that Trey felt like he and or his family members were going to be harmed if he didn't kill Kayla and wipe out his debt. Now, this is called the defense of duress, which is grounded in the belief that the conduct in question was morally involuntary. Okay, so let's get into this defense for a minute. Right. The defense of duress is a viable defense in both the United States and Canada. However, how the defense can be used and is applied varies by location. So in some states, a defendant cannot use the defense of duress if they murdered someone. Some states do allow the defense of duress to be used for murder. However, it's all dependent on the situation, case-by-case case basis. In Canada, the rules of using the defense of duress are pretty strict. 
Canadian defendants who knowingly put themselves in a situation where they would most likely be subjected to duress aren't allowed to use the defense. This is like dealing drugs that got trained into the situation, and that's a dangerous and illicit activity. In Canada, the justice system believes that, quote, murdering someone under duress means that the perpetrator is weighing the value of their life compared to the life of the victim. They believe that no just and humane society can ever allow an individual to make the moral choice to sacrifice one innocent life for another. So the duress defense was out for Trey. The attorney switched gears and tried to get his confession thrown out. They said investigators had used improper tactics to coerce his confession. They said that investigators knew Trey had been drinking all night when he was arrested at 5.30 a.m. He was then kept in various interview rooms for almost 20 hours, which they said was far too long. Trey's attorneys said that he was sleep-deprived and felt like he had to make a confession because investigators wouldn't stop questioning him even after he repeatedly asked for an attorney. The trial judge ended up ruling that Trey's confession was voluntary, It was another major blow for the defense. Trey's trial began on April 7th of 2015. The Crown said that Kayla's murder was both planned and deliberate. Trey had plenty of opportunities to go to the police after every threat that he received, but he didn't. Instead, he killed Kayla to save himself. The Crown's main evidence was Tremaine's testimony against him. The Crown also had surveillance footage of Trey and Tremaine riding the bus and taking a taxi on June 20th. And they look completely normal, completely calm. Renee feels like the footage is very telling of the type of person Trey really is. For somebody to be able to just do that so coldly and calmly and then get on the bus like nothing happened right after, I mean, that kind of tells you everything you need to know about a person when they can just kill somebody and have no remorse and go about their day like it's normal. I mean, that's insane. And... To me, watching that, knowing what had transpired just before that, it made me feel sick. Because how can you just do that and then walk on the bus with other human beings and pretend like everything's fine? Because Trey's attorney tried to argue that just because Trey could be seen in the surveillance footage at the scene didn't mean he was a murderer. They theorized that someone other than Trey killed Kayla. Maybe it was Tremaine who did the killing while Trey was there for the moral support. They suggested his confession was coerced. And when all was said and done, the defense didn't end up presenting any witnesses, and neither Trey or Drake took the stand. Canadian law is just a little, it's different than the U.S. Like We have a lot of different rules in Canada. You know, if Trey had taken the stand in his own defense, we have no Fifth Amendment here. So he can't, you know not answer questions based on, you know, pleading the fifth. There's a few exceptions, but he would have to answer those questions, even if they're going to be self-incriminating. If they don't answer a question, then you can be held in contempt or be forced to answer. And if you lie and then you're cross-examined and, you know, you commit perjury, then that's a separate offense. When it came time to deliberate Trey's fate, the jury had many options to choose from. First-degree murder, second-degree murder, manslaughter, or not guilty. On April 24th, after the jury deliberated for two days, Trey sat emotionless as the verdict was delivered. Trey was found guilty of first-degree murder. A handful of Kayla's family members read victim impact statements and talked about how much she'll be missed and how much she's loved. Everyone who loves Kayla is saying all these things, and the judge asks Trey if they had anything to say, and he says, no, not right now, like the piece of shit that he is. 
Trey didn't have anything to say, but Judge Glenn Joyle sure did. He said that Kayla's murder was singularly gruesome and shocking, and he questioned Trey's defense that he had no other option but to kill Kayla. The judge said, no options, Mr. Willis. Really? What about the police? You chose between a mere risk of death to you and your family and the certainty of death you imposed on Miss Tran. Judge Joyle then gave Trey the mandatory sentence of life in prison without parole for 25 years. We asked Renee what she thought about Trey's sentence. I think it was fair. I mean, it's one of the highest, you know, sentences you can get in Canada without having a life sentence with no parole. But for, you know, just killing somebody to forgive a drug debt, I mean, I think you should stay in jail, you know, for the rest of your life because that's something that should have never happened. It was senseless. So he needs to stay in jail, and I'm glad he's in jail. He should stay there (laughs) forever. And this story doesn't end just with Trey going off to prison to start serving his sentence. There's a lot more for all of us to get upset about, because afterwards, the Crown formally withdrew the charges against Drake, and it gets worse. Once Drake's name was cleared, Drake was allowed to claim ownership of one of Kayla's life insurance policies. This one was worth $50,000. So this is outrageous, and just imagine how upset Kayla's family would have been with this news. When Drake applied to receive the payout from a secondary policy worth $165,000, Kayla's family filed a wrongful death suit against Drake. And here's why. In the lawsuit, the family claimed that investigators told them they had video evidence of Trey giving a second confession where he admitted Dre was the one who offered him the deal. And this is key because, remember, Trey allegedly always denied that Drake was the one who put him up to it. And when Tremaine said it, it was just hearsay. So they had no evidence. But apparently this secret confession did exist. And it's unclear why it couldn't be used criminally or why it wasn't used criminally. Right. And this second confession took place before the trial. In the video, Trey said that Drake approached him at a school playground. Trey told investigators, Drake basically just said, how would you feel about killing somebody? And I said, I don't really have any intentions of doing that. And he said, well, if you do it, I can help you clear your debts. So I thought about it and he told me that it would be cleared and there was a good chance for me to get away with it. Trey continued on with his story and said that at some point after meeting at the playground, Drake came to his apartment and they talked outside. During this conversation, Trey told Drake that he would kill Kayla, and Drake then told him different ways to do it. They decided on the when and the where, but that's about it. Trey said they didn't discuss any specific plan about how Trey would be able to pay off his debt after the murder. He told investigators, he kind of said, once it's over, he'll give me the money to pay off the other guy, and I just walk away from everything. We forget each other existed, just go back to regular life and done with drugs and all that crazy stuff. Investigators asked Trey why he initially blamed Finale. Trey replied, I was kind of hoping you'd figure it out. Well, Trey is an idiot, and this shit is nonsensical. It's really unclear why he did anything. I think he was just bullshitting because he knew his life was over, and he's just fucking around now at this point. Either way, it's really frustrating and sad to know that Drake is not behind bars. And Drake, if you listen to this... They will get you eventually because there's too much obvious shit here indicating that you did this. And I don't know how you live with yourself. And I hope you get horrible sleep thinking of Kayla for the rest of your life. 
So Kayla's family did not want Drake to get his hands on the money from Kayla's insurance policies, so they sued him in civil court. Drake maintained his innocence, and he tried to get the lawsuit thrown out, saying that it was offensive, scandalous, and baseless. His plea to have the suit thrown out was denied, and the trial was set for January of 2020. But the trial never happened, because in April of 2019, a financial settlement was reached, one that has not been made public. Trey's second video confession, where he names Drake as the mastermind, has never been used against Drake criminally, civilly, or otherwise. It's unclear why. And guess what else? Canada doesn't have the same transparency requirements as we do here in the States. So we don't know why it wasn't used. Tremaine, Trey's source of moral support on the day of the murder, was also not charged with anything. I think he had cut a deal and testified against Trey, which is why he was never prosecuted, which makes sense. The Crown wouldn't have had, you know, enough evidence to charge him with first degree murder, probably without that, you know, key witness. So it makes sense why, you know, the friend who went for moral support wasn't charged. Today, Trey is still in jail, and it appears that he's going to stay there for a while. In December of 2016, Manitoba's highest court denied his appeal. And although he is serving a sentence of life without parole for 25 years, he is allowed to apply for a reduced sentence after serving 15. But Renee isn't sure that Trey will ever be approved for parole. He can apply to have a reduced time for parole, so he could apply at 15 years. But I'm not sure if he's going to get that. I mean, it was pretty you know, calculated and senseless, so I don't think the court or the parole board is going to be very sensitive to or, you know, sympathetic towards him. So I expect that he will probably remain in prison for the rest of his life. And as for Renee's boyfriend, well, she broke up with him. She has no idea if he still talks to Trey. But she told us it wouldn't surprise her if he did. Well, a huge thank you to Renee for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group where you're talking true crime all the time and stick around tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy peanut brittle day. Sick. (laughs) At least it's not a nut and a brownie. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are court documents, CBC, CTV News, Winnipeg, Free Press, Yahoo News, Vice, Global News, Edmonton Sun, Opasquia Times, and as always, our first three guests, as always, our largest source. 